Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Schedulers Podcast Live, episode 14. It is so nice to have you here. My name is James. And before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of land on which I'm recording today. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, it's so incredible to have you listening because obviously um, most people who are here have been listening to the podcast, which is great. Um, it's just really hard to like get people to listen. So I'm so glad to have you on board. Um, if you are here, please say hello because I do have the chat in front of me so I can see who is here. Um, I can see a few friends. I can see Jordy, Alec, Blake, Andy, Tiana, Laura, JJ, all my favorite people, Florencia. Um, so hi everyone. It's so good to see you. Oh my God. Bree's just joined. Amazing. So, um, as you know, lately there's been a lot going on. It's pretty, pretty fucking scary. Um, with the coronavirus shit happening, I'm still going to work and, um, it's been, it's been pretty hectic. So I know, I think it's really nice that we can kind of sit and enjoy a podcast and I hope that you're just like lying down and getting relaxed. Maybe have some popcorn, Maybe not, that's fine, but I hope you are getting comfy because we do have some pretty cool and spooky stories in store for you. Um, also, I would like to just mention that we have two treats tonight. So not only are we you're going to be listening to the podcast live, which is really cool, you'll also be treated to episode 13, which will be up like as soon as the podcast is over. So if you want to have like a binge, um, the like the episode on Spotify um, and Apple Podcasts, which is episode 13, will be live as soon as this is done. So that's pretty damn cool. Um, and it was a really fun episode and it was super scary. So I would highly recommend that you go and listen to that once we are finished. But that's not why you're here. You're here because you want to hear some spooky stories. Before we begin, I also like, we're going to have a little segment where I like ask whoever's listening about their experiences or their spooky story. So have a little think um, if you do have something that you want to share um, or an experience that you had, definitely um, I would recommend right now going into your notes and just like, or if you can't just begin typing in the comment um, and get your story ready to press send. And when then when we get to that section, I will, um, I'll pick one or two and I'll have a little read um, because it's a really good way to access a bunch of stories at once. Cool, 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 cool. So, like I mentioned before, coronavirus is definitely hanging around. She's not going anywhere, I don't think, anytime soon. And I just have to say, like, <laughs> stay home. <laughs> like, I'm working in retail at the moment, and um, the, the Prime Minister has obviously said, like, stay home unless it's absolutely necessary. And I've just dealt with so many people that are coming and just, like, browsing and hanging out in stores. And when I say it's fucking pissing me off, like, oh, man, it is irking me so if you are one of those cunts i hate you unless it's like genuinely necessary and the amount of people that came in to ask if we sold jigsaw puzzles was beyond me i don't understand what the fuck they think um my company sells but we do not sell a damn jigsaw that's for sure um okay so because we're like pretty much in next week's episode, um, you wouldn't have heard that the episode that is going to be aired tonight, episode 13, I launched a new segment and that segment is called the scared shitless movie of the week. Um, so every week I'm going to be recommending um, a film that I would highly recommend that you see. And while you guys are here in the chat, I did ask my guest this last episode, but um, she wasn't really, <laughs> wasn't she wasn't very sure about the answer. But I want to ask you guys, when I recommend a film, do you want like a full, like, 
rundown of the film and like what it's about and like like spoilers or do you want me to just be really like vague with it and not tell you much because a i don't think anybody's actually going to watch the films to be honest and b if you are that's great but like i also don't want to waste your time so um let me know if you want spoilers because i'm literally about to spoil a movie really heavily so if you don't stop me soon i'm gonna do it um so Dig in, lads. Um, so the film that I would recommend this week uh, is The Witch, directed by Robert Eagers, which came out in 2016. Um, I personally saw this film four times. Um, I saw it three times in the movies and then I watched it again uh, at home. And it is an incredible, incredible movie that I would highly fucking recommend to anybody. This family. Oh God, my Lord, and now begin, oh help me, and I'll leave my sin. For I repentant now shall be from evil, I will turn to thee. None ever shall destroy my faith, for I repentant now shall be. Oh God, my Lord, and now begin, oh help me, and I'll leave my sin. And how shall be from evil I will turn to thee. Believe in the word. So, um, I'm going to go over the general plot for anybody that hasn't seen it. And if you have seen it, then I'm going to retell it really nicely. Anyway, so in 1960, sorry, in 1630s, New England, English settler William and his family, wife, sorry, wife, Catherine, daughter, Thomason, son, Caleb, and fraternal twins, Mercy and Jonas, are banished from a Puritan Plymouth colony over a religious dispute. So it's like old English um little little village kind of colony and they've been sent away um because we, the, the dispute isn't really um talked about they're just kind of sent away for doing something against their religion um and so they build a little farm near this secluded and really fucking creepy uh forest um and they have a newborn child named samuel um and one day thomason who is the daughter is playing peekaboo with samuel when the baby abruptly disappears and is soon revealed that a witch has stolen the unbaptized samuel killing him and using his remains to make a flying ointment um so it said that his blood was made to make uh like an ointment for the witches to be able to fly which is pretty creepy but yeah so Catherine who's a mother is devastated by Samuel's disappearance spends her days crying and praying and while hunting with William who's the father Caleb asks if Samuel's unbaptized soul will reach heaven he's obviously worried about his little brother um the father William encourages Caleb to not raise the question and later reveals to Caleb that he traded Catherine's silver cup for hunting supplies that night Catherine questions Thomason the daughter about the disappearance of her cup and suspects her to be a response for Samuel's abduction. 
After the children retire to bed, they overhear their parents discussing sen- sending Thomason away to serve another family. So back when, obviously, this is in the, the, uh, the 1600s, uh, women and especially daughters and sisters were, uh, were sent to families to be either maids or um, look after children. So it was very common um, for parents who didn't have, who had unruly daughters to send them away to different families, which is kind of fucked up, but whatever. Um, so early the next morning, Thomason finds Caleb preparing a check, uh, to, sorry, to check a trap in the forest and forces him to take her with him by threatening to awaken their parents. So she's like, if you don't take me with you to check these traps, I'm going to wake up uh, mom and dad and you're going to be in trouble. Um, and in the woods, they spot a hare, which is a rabbit. Um, it sends their horse into a panic and their dog Fowler promptly chases after the rabbit. Caleb pursues while the horse throws Thomason off, knocking her unconscious. Caleb becomes lost in the woods and stumbles upon Fowler's disemboweled body. That's the dog. It's really sad. <laughs> Poor dog. Um, deep in the woods, he comes across a hovel, which is like a um, uh, like a big giant tree with a house underneath it, you know, like where Snow White lives. Um, but it's not cute. It's like really scary. Um and in this hovel, a woman, this beautiful young woman emerges and seduces Caleb, the young boy. And once Caleb is close enough, the woman's arm becomes an old and decrepit and grabs Caleb. Um, William finds Thomason and takes her home where Catherine angrily chastises Thomason for taking Caleb into the woods before William reluctantly admits that he sold Catherine's cup. Catherine does not allow Thomason the chance to explain that she was there to help to keep watch over Caleb. And she's just like, you little fucking, like, you horrible young girl, you are possessed by the devil. And just, like, hates her for and blames her for Caleb going missing and Samuel um, winding up dead and the dog dying and the horse running away. So she's just blaming her for everything. Um, later that evening, Caleb has found, has found his way home and Thomason discovers him outdoors in the rain, naked and delirious from an unknown illness. Um, when he awakens the next day, Caleb expels a bloody apple from his mouth. Catherine believes it to be witchcraft. Um, Caleb passionately proclaims his love to Christ before he dies, though Catherine believes Caleb to have seen being some under some sort of spell and is kind of like possessed by something. Uh, the, the twins then accuse the twins, may I add, are fucking like creepy as hell. Um, they accuse Thomason of witchcraft, and, and in retaliation, Thomason reveals to the parents that the twins have had conversations with Black Philip, who is the family's Billy Goat. Um, and William boards both Thomason and the twins inside the goat house. Thomason overhears William break down and confess to God that he has been prideful and has made his family leave their old village out of stubbornness rather than sincere religious devotion. Later on the night, the three children are woken by the sounds of rustling in the goat house and discover an old woman drinking milk from the goat. Meanwhile, inside the house, Catherine awakes to the vision of Caleb holding Samuel. After a brief discussion, Caleb offers Samuel to Catherine so she may breastfeed the baby, but the baby is shown to be in fact a crow that is pecking away at her breast. And that scene is so fucking creepy. And like, I remember just being like super, like a chill ran down my spine and it was just, um, yeah, it was fucking scary. But this next uh, paragraph and the one after is super spoiler heavy. So if you're not interested in hearing any spoilers, I would definitely recommend not listening. But if you are not uh, if you're not going to see the film and you want me to retell it, then stay tuned. <laughs> uh, so the next day, William, the father, awakens and walks outside to find the stable is destroyed. The goats uh, have disappeared. The twins are missing and an unconscious Thomason lying nearby with bloodstained hands. 
as Thomason awakens Black Philip Gore's William before his before her eyes, and um, it unhinged Catherine, the, the mother, who now blames Thomason for the tragedies that have beset the family, and accusing her of trying to seduce her own father and her brother, attacks Thomason. She then Thomason then kills her mother with a cleaver in self-defense. At the end of the film, alone, Thomason enters the stable and urges Black Philip to speak to her. The goat responds by asking if Thomason would like to quote unquote live deliciously and materializes into a tall, devilishly handsome, black-clad man. Black Philip orders Thomason to remove her clothes and to sign her name in a book that appears before her. Thomason follows Black Philip into the forest where she joins a coven of witches holding a witch's Sabbath around a bonfire. The coven begins to levitate and a laughing Thomason joins them ascending above the trees. And that's the that's the end of the film and then the whole the whole kind of film you're just you're always questioning like is this real is the witchcraft in the movie real and then at the end of the film you can either take it as literal or metaphorical that she kind of ascends with the witches or um she's just spiritually ascended because she's kind of gotten away from the abuse of her family and not being accepted and so like uh, the witch is like one of those really rare horror films in the 21st century that genuinely films like, sorry, feels timeless. Like even like that word timeless is thrown around or thrown around a lot, but it does feel like in, in 20 years, 30 years, we're going to look back on this film and it's still going to feel very relevant, very well acted, very well done. Um, the directing is very minimal. The acting is absolutely incredible, especially by the children. Um, and it's the soundtrack and the soundscape is ridiculously beautiful like Andy just said in the comments um it's just really droney and uh even the atmosphere of the like the the foley like the uh, in the woods and um in the house is beautifully done um it's it's even been said by a lot of audience members and I agree with this that the film is so powerful that it actually if you're if you're like very atheist it's it kind of makes you weirdly believe in um in religion and in, and in god and in the devil because it just, it really just shows you this really dark, realistic side to religion and the human condition. Um, and so the film, in my opinion, deals with uh, womanhood. It deals with desire and um, being able to tap into desire in the darker parts of someone's soul. It's also about accepting her inner demons and not being ashamed of the darkness or the desires that one has especially as a woman, because um, it's a known fact that, you know, in the 1600s during the Salem witch trials, women were um, burned alive or hung. And so in this film, the narrative is kind of flipped because our main character who is throughout the whole film told is a witch and is going to be going to hell and is, is kind of damned. She becomes, you know, as the film goes on, and instead of being more vulnerable, she becomes more powerful and at the end becomes the most powerful um, character in the film so it's a really interesting way of playing with that narrative um, and it is like a slow burner it does take a minute to get into and the language in the film the dialogue is old English so it, it is very authentic in that sense so um, it is sometimes hard to pick up the language but once you get into the groove it's just like you'll enjoy every moment after that so I gave it a solid four out of five I can't really the only the only aspects of the film that I would fault is the slow progression of the film and I think that certain scenes were left ambiguous when they probably should have been more um I don't know more literal and more linear but um there's some really cool facts about the film too like the director Robert Eggers who's like a perfectionist when it comes to any of his films he um he put 
a huge amount of budget into the CGI of the film simply to remove the ear holes um, of the act of the main actress where her earrings were because he wanted to be so authentic that he spent like a, lot, a huge amount of the budget just to CGI out the tiny ear holes in, in the scenes because in um, in HD and like in cinema you can see the ear holes and he just hated that so it's it's crazy and the film was also filmed in mostly 99% natural light or by candlelight there's hardly any artificial light used in the film just like in The Revenant um and the film the reason why the film uses uh because the film is spelled the witch with two v's instead of a w because the two v's represent the authenticity of the fact that the letter w wasn't actually invented in the 1600s and they used v's to represent a uh, sound um which is pretty cool and the satanic church has also used this film as an educational film and has screened it at, at many of their at, at many of their churches across the world and that is the witch 2016 I would highly recommend it to anybody. And if anybody has seen it in the comments, let me know what you think, what you thought of it, because um, I don't know, maybe I, I'm the only one that liked it, but I, I, yeah, I loved it. I'm also going to do some reviews of like bad horror films or films in general, because I don't want to just make it like, this was four out of five. This is three and a half out of five. Like I want to be like, this was one out of five because it was shit. Cause it's definitely like some fucking terrible horror movies out there that I just don't, um, necessarily want to talk about um okay so we've gotten to a little point in the podcast where i would love to get some spooky stories or real life occurrences from our live viewers um and we have a few people watching now so if you do have a story like i mentioned before please do um enter it in in the meantime i will try and kill some time by talking about um (laughs) if i can talk about uh upcoming horror uh, news. So there is a few horror movies coming out at the end of the year. Um, we have The Quiet Place Part 2, which I'm really fucking keen for. Um, we also have... Wait, was The Grudge already... I think The Grudge already came out. But that apparently that was, like, really shit. Um, and so people, some people in the comments are saying that there's only there's only a few modern horror films that have really fucked them up, and The Witch was one of them. And I actually completely agree with that because... Um, there are only a few that have really messed with me too. And I think it's honestly the sound in The Witch, like the soundtrack and the soundscape that really like got under my skin. Um, another one off the top of my head is like Hereditary, um, It Follows, that really use soundscape and sound design to really like push that really like dark atmosphere. Um, so yeah, oh, okay. Someone just said that the grudge was really shit so don't watch it so i probably won't um honestly like i'm not big on remakes anyway i did see i've seen the original and i've seen the american the original american remake which i didn't hate it wasn't great but it wasn't like fucked i watched it because obviously sarah michelle geller is buffy and obviously i'm gonna watch it because it's buffy and why wouldn't i watch buffy the vampire slayer you know oh my god how could i forget about the candy man candy man jordan peele Wow, don't get me started. Jordan Peele is a genius because Candyman is going to be this like cultural horror. I, I, I can already feel it's going to be fucking, I think it's going to be his best one. I can already feel it in the waters and I don't trust any remakes, but if it's, if it's Jordan Peele making a remake, I'm so there for it. Um, the Invisible Man was very, very good as well. So I mentioned in the comments. Um, honestly, I think The Invisible Man was solid. Elizabeth Moss is an incredible actor. Um, I mean, I talked to this in jo- I talked to about this with Geordie um, in 
uh, her episode and we talked about how she worked on the film and got to actually get like a sneak peek on the script. So that's really cool. And I loved it. I would actually see it again. I'm actually keen to watch it when it comes out on streaming. Um, so my good friend, my good friend uh, Florencia has dropped a little story in the comments. So I'm going to read it out loud. Um, so she says, where I grew up in Buenos Aires, Argentina, there was a whack uh, brujeria, brujeria shit happening all over the time. Oh, I'm all over all the time. I've been cursed with the evil eye more than, more times than I lack in rows of three with recurring images. Um, it's pretty much, oh, sorry, more times than I can count. It's pretty much events of bad luck in rows of three with recurring images of eyes just all over the place. I've had my great grandma cleanse me that many times and I've always been naturally intuitive and cause, and cause I got the evil eye so young, I can't stand looking at eyes through mirrors. When I was a kid, I'd also see reflections of my relatives that had passed away through mirrors. When I left Argentina, a lot of the evil eye stuff went away. Honestly, yeah, that's fucked. <laughs> How do you live? I could not do that. If I saw a ghost or any like relatives in a mirror, I would smash that mirror and get whatever years of bad luck. I would not give a fuck. That is fucked. Um, and Florencia has also mentioned the killing of a sacred deer. <gasps> Florencia, oh my God, that movie. That movie, I watched it with a bunch of friends. And I was just, I went into it completely blind. It was like one of those lists that was like uh, top films of the year that you have to see. And holy goddamn shitballs, that movie was fucking good. And also uh, really unnerving. And the guy that played the main character was super fucking good. Um, the, sorry, not the main character. He was like the um, antagonist. He was so fucking good and super creepy. Um yeah, so uh, Blake in the comments has just said that me and my mom and Abuela are from Buenos Aires too and Abuela's always gone on about brujeria shit. Yeah, I feel like there's this entire, um, there's this entire like culture with um, like black magic and brujeria and um, in Ar Argentinian culture and South American culture in general that I would love to um, talk to anyone about on the podcast because, yeah, there's a lot of creepy stuff that surrounds it and there's also a lot of just like real life stuff that has happened I know that Azalea Banks, like, doesn't she practice uh, brujeria? I think she, like, sacrifices chickens or something stupid. I don't know. She's problematic, so I don't really want to talk about her. Um, so I'm going to take, a, like, a very brief 30-second uh, break. I'm just going to, like, wet the whistle. Um, and then hopefully when I come back, we will have another story that I can share from my friends in the comments. I will see you very, very soon. Whistle is wet because <clears throat> I was getting dry mouth, dry throat, real, real intense. Um, and I also, I meant to say Santeria as well. That was definitely the term that I was trying to term. Um, and my biggest reference of Santeria is from the movie Hot Ship with Rob Schneider, where <clears throat> they are convinced that uh, one of the bitches in the film, um, they call her a bitch, not me, is uh, a Santeria pra practitioner. So that's all I know about that. And there's something to do with scorpions, but I'm not sure what else. So Amy, my good friend Amy, um, in the comments has just mentioned that before she lost her job, um, she worked in a bar. And I'm so sorry that that happened. It is so fucking terrifying. 
that people are losing their work and I cannot stress enough that I'm so sorry, but I hope that you can get support in other ways. And I love you so much. Anyway, basically, so she said, um, basically I asked my boss after being there late alone one night, if there was a ghost or something in the bar and he goes, Oh yeah, I have a photo of it. He told me the story about how one night he was closing alone and saw someone standing at the bar. Fuck that. Uh, he was walking up the stairs to tell her to get the fuck out because we were closed. And when he got up there, there was no one there. There is only one way in and out, so it would be physically impossible for someone to get out without him seeing. Anyway, my boss is very skeptical, but he sent me a photo and legit, it looks like a plague doctor scared the fuck out of me. And I literally have the photo and it's the most fucked thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's so fucking dark. And um, also, Amy just posted the photo in the um, Scheduler's podcast group. So if you want to see that photo, please jump in there and have a look because it literally scared me. And I would have quit that job Um in a heartbeat, I could not have worked there. So you're brave and congrats for you. So we're actually going to get into the main story now. And I'm really excited because oh, it's going to be good. It's a really good one that I've been watching. It's been in my radar for a while. So I watched a documentary on it a while ago and it's been stuck in my brain for a while. So I thought I would uh, definitely retell it. And at any point, if you want to jump in the comments and comment about it, I will definitely be interjecting comments here and there. And if you have a story, like I said before, please do share it because I'll jump back to sharing my friend's stories um, once this story is over. So today I'm going to be talking about uh, Amanda, uh, sorry, Amanda, Amanda, no, a man named Pazuzu. So I don't know if anybody's come across this guy, but... uh, so throughout history, there's been like obviously hysteria surrounding devil worshipping bad guys. Like obviously, like through the 80s, there was a satanic panic. Um, the Salem witch trials of the 1600s, um, you know, it was a big mentality around the time. And especially in the 80s with satanic panic, it pretty much blamed murder, rape and like other horrific crimes on Satanists and rituals in general. So... Um, the satanic panic thing is definitely still prevalent today. And this story is kind of like a testament to that. So um, most of these panics and frenzies have like proven to be usually just mass delirium and like the media pretty much just sensationalizing um, their stories to be like satanic cult leader does this or satanic man does this. And so, you know, a lot of the time people just kind of put that to the side, but one man defied this delusion and he acted with very dark intentions and he was described as people who knew him as pure evil. So today we're going to be talking about Pazuzu Algarad and his name, he was born John Lawson. Um, He eventually changed his name in 2002 to Pazuzu, um, which is after the Mesopotamian King of Demons. Uh, And so he was born August 12th, 1978 in San Francisco, California, obviously. Um, the accounts of his childhood are really hard to pin down and like super vague. And every story that you hear about his childhood, like kind of changes from his friends' perspectives or from colleagues or whatever it might be, or students who went to school with him. Um, they really just kind of vary on what his family life was like growing up. Um, some, some people say that he had a good life growing up as a child. Some people say he was a bit troubled. So who the fuck knows? I don't fucking know. I don't know these cunts. So, um, one part of information that we can confirm, though, is that he did move to North Carolina at an early age from California, and he kind of went back and forth between um, California and North Carolina because his mother uh, was divorcing uh, uh, John or Pazuzu's father um, and remarried 
someone in North Carolina. So that was his stepfather. Um, him and his stepfather hated each other. They will constantly fight and argue and they just did not get along at all. And can't we all relate to that? I had a horrible stepdad too. I hope he doesn't join. I don't think he would, but he was a dog. Um, and by dog, I mean woof woof, not as in um, cute. Anyway, so some lies that he would like tell people, he was originally born in Iraq, which was just a lie. He also told people that his father was some sort of like high priest, which is also a lie. His father was actually a drug addict and quite abusive and that's why his mother divorced him. Um, so he was compulsively lying about his upbringing and where he came from and so people just stopped believing him altogether. So from an early age, Pazuzu was known for being an emotional child who um, consumed alcohol and did drugs super, super young. Um, and he was also known to cause harm to small animals, including cats and dogs, um, which is fucked. Like, who the fuck would... I don't know. It's like every time I read about any, like, negative person uh, or bad guy, they always harm animals. Like, it's always the alarm bells. And I just always never understand when parents don't interject at an early age and be like, hey, cunt, stop killing my puppies. Um you want to go uh to a mental home i just like it's concerning to me that people don't interject early but alas um as you'll see it doesn't end well red flag red flag red flag so pazuzu's mother had a different story than what other people said about his childhood um she believed that her son john had his problems but he wasn't a bad guy at all and in fact that um she continued continues in interviews today to say that he was a little warrior um, and at a young age, Pazuzu's mother took him to several child psychologists and doctors to discern whether he had like a personality disorder or if there was other underlying issues with his mental health. Um, and doctors found that John or Pazuzu suffered from agoraphobia, sorry, agoraphobia, schizophrenia, and had episodes of psychosis. And so his mother often would sugarcoat his childhood and say it was actually quite bright and they would travel and they would go on little holidays and whatnot so you know the truth is hard to discern but from what his friends have said and from how he did eventually end up it doesn't seem that he did have a good childhood because he did not have a good relationship with his mother whatsoever um so this is when like when during this time when he got these diagnoses this is when Pazuzu's mother like really decided to start to seek some help um, but he, the, she found that like psychologists and doctors were really expensive. So eventually fucking just stopped taking him for help, which is not a good thing at all. Like, I don't know, man, come on. Therapy. I recommend it to anyone. If you haven't gone to therapy, go to therapy, like go to a psychologist as much as you can go to a doctor. If you only go to a doctor once, twice, three times, four times, five times a year, or, you know, once a month, I'd recommend going to a therapist the same amount of time because your brain is just as important as your tummy or your ass. <laughs> I don't know if you have hemorrhoids, Brenda, but you should go get checked out anyway. Um, so after some time passed, um, I don't know, over a year or two living in North Carolina, Pazuzu was a teenager. Him and his mother relocated to Salem, Winston, which is North Carolina. And so they lived just on the outskirts of the main town. The town had an, an enormous Christian population, obviously being North Carolina, which is like the Bible Belt. Um, and this is when John Algarad or uh, Pazuzu changed his name. So the name like Pazuzu also stems from the horror film The Exorcist, which is like an iconic film from the seventies. And if you know the demon that possessed Regan, who was a little girl, uh, his name was Pazuzu. And um, at this time, uh, Pazuzu 
the or John began to make a name for himself in and around the town as like a local eccentric and a bit of a character. But then as he like got to know people, people became quite afraid of him. He would like intentionally try and come across as scary to residents of the town and would try to freak people out. Uh, and telling people in public that he would sacrifice animals, then he controlled the weather and had magical powers. And to be honest, I've come across people that like that who just like get a kick out of trying to scare people. And not not in a fun way, we're like, <laughs> but like in a way that like they want to be, they want they want to come across as like scary and weird because they want either the attention or um, they enjoy just getting a reaction out of people. So I've definitely come across people like that, and they're either like sociopathic or just fucked. Um, so he, uh, yeah. So yeah, he also had like a very striking um visual appearance so if you google him not to laugh but his face was like tattooed um and he had like yeah he's got a really scary look i'm gonna be i'm like i'm trying to be nice but he was fucking scary he looks fucking scary he looks like he's on drugs he looks he's a scary dude i want to come across him if he was coming anywhere near me in the public i'd be very scared he's just a scary looking man um, and one time when he was high on meth, lol, me, I'm um, just kidding. He filed his teeth down to sharp points, just like Pazuzu from The Exorcist. So he had like sharp teeth and his tongue was also split down the middle and had body tattoos of demonic symbolism and satanic references. So like, he's not the kind of guy you'd want to bring home to mother. And he's also not the kind of guy you would want to um, just like genuinely hang out with. Like not me, but some people did, whatever. Um, it's also known that because the town was like quite conservative and Christian, he enjoyed toying with like he enjoyed toying with people um, and playing with that fact because he enjoyed scaring people that were afraid of anything related to like darkness or demons or anything that was anti-Christian. So around this time, like when he moved here and was growing up, probably about two years after he moved here, he was like in his late teens. Um, it was just after nine eleven. So it was in two thousand and one, and. Uh, the town was already feeling the after uh, the after effects of 9-11. And so Pazuzu decided to play with his fears. He claimed that he was uh, half Islamic and half Satanist and he would create his own way of thinking through his own religion. And although he never practiced Islamic faith, nor was he Muslim, he proclaimed himself to be a mixture of Anton LaVey, Charles Manson and Osama Bin Laden. Like... You've got, to be a, uh, you've got to be a certain type of crazy to think that. That's just three people that you just don't want to. Like Anton LaVey, I don't know, that's fair. He's the author of the Black Bible. He's not, I don't think he's a bad man. He could be. I don't know. I haven't done any research on him. I have no idea anything about him except the fact that he wrote the Black Bible, which is like the Satanic Bible. But Charles Manson and Osama bin Laden are not good men, so I don't think you would want to mix religions or ideologies that those two believed. He's crazy if you haven't figured out so far. Anyway, his former schoolmate said that his intent and subsequent obsession with Satanism began while experimenting with drugs in high school. So he would, he would um, start doing, uh, he would start smoking meth and he would, he would be uh, experimenting with hallucinogenics. Um, and so at this time, this is when he started to really get into um, Satanism. And, uh, but I, to be fair, like, and I want to make it clear, Satanism is not at all a negative uh, thing the media does portray it as something negative and i think that his ideology of satanism or idea of satanism is something that is violent and something to be he was using it as a tool to scare people he wasn't using it as a tool of of genuine ideology and like a belief i think he was using it just to be 
like I'm a Satanist, be scared of me because you're a Christian. Like that's what he was doing it for. So I just don't think that he was doing it in the right intentions. But anyway, so uh, he continued to like up the ante on his undertakings further and further continue to continue instilling fear into the town of Salem, Winston. Like he would just continuously do fucked up shit to scare people. Um, and time went on and as Pazuzu's manifestations and ideology shifted and grew, so did his following. He actually shared a small home with his mother, which soon became a hub of misfits and a large array of different people from all different backgrounds who were mostly outcasts, drug addicts, or people that fit in with society, um, which I'm all for. I think if you have a little group, that's great, but also just don't make it dark. Don't be fucked up. Um, he had a twisted charisma that appealed to the outcasts and people living on the edge. The people who remember hanging out with Pazuzu and his posse at his home remembered it being filthy, lawless, chaotic-filled, um, with sexual promiscuity, everyone was having sex with everyone. They would do drugs, which included heroin, psychedelics. They would drink um, like crazy. They would cut themselves and cut each other, and they would drink each other's blood, and they would even cut the heads of birds and drink the blood from the stump of the neck. Um, pardon? <laughs> Sorry, what kind of party are you going to? That's fucked. Apparently, also, he didn't like people using the toilet, so he would just he would encourage people to shit on the floor in his lounge room and piss on the floor. And apparently when people came over, the first thing you would smell is human feces, uh, rotting meat and ammonia, which is like the smell of urine. Um, yeah, cool. So I thought my landlords would like, you know, my landlords cared that we had like one piece of dog hair on the lounge, but um, apparently these people were lived in, living in, you know what? Fuck it. Um, so people were drawn to the house because they knew it was free reign. And people who were like drug addicts and couldn't fit into society obviously wanted to find their own community and they wanted to go um, be around around people that also didn't belong. So this place was just like free, crazy, do whatever you want. And so a lot of people congreg congregated there. People were naked all the time, just lying in their own, like literally apparently lying in their own feces, just like super high and fucked up. Anyway, there were absolutely no rules. There was nothing they had to abide by. They would urinate on the carpet, like I said, and they would just like smash broken televisions. They would um, smash bottles on each other's heads with, with beer bottles. They would throw knives at the wall and none of it mattered because the Pazuzu um, was constantly blaring black metal, like at ear piercingly loud volumes. <laughs> it just it gives me anxiety. Like I just, my, I like my, sometimes when I have like one bowl in my room, I'm like, <gasps> so like the fact that there's like loud black metal music shit on the floor, I'm just like, oh, it gives me like my own breed of anxiety. Anyway, so the surrounding neighbors who weren't that close um, and the townspeople tolerated the presence of Pazuzu and his little clan because they were, they were actually truly afraid of him. And it wasn't long until rumors began to spread about the strange group and Pazuzu himself. One of these rumors really caught the attention of the townsfolk, especially a lot of the church groups. And it was a rumor that Pazuzu um, actually started himself and wanted to spread. And it was that he had dead bodies buried in his backyard. So a woman named Bianca Heath, who was one of Pazuzu's uh, quote-unquote fiancés, and he would call... Uh, the female posse members of his group, his fiancés. Um, she was living at his home for a month. And during this stay, she overheard Pazuzu discuss murdering somebody, burying them in the yard and also feasting on their flesh. Um, a lot of Pazuzu's friends didn't really believe this st these stories. Pazuzu was very well known to be somebody who would exaggerate his stories and make things up. So the more extreme things he said, nobody really took seriously at all. And it wasn't long after these rumours circulated um, that things became 
um, super serious, like pretty quickly. And Pazuzu slowly became bored with the classic Church of Satan's belief um, and ideology and practices and began to indulge in much hardcore, violent, satanic rituals. Um, so he had a few run-ins with the law and had a fairly extensive criminal record that dated back to 2008, because um, this is in about 2011 that we're kind of at now. So he was convicted of larceny, which is like theft of personal property, and um, which he went on parole for. And in 2011, he was convicted of assault for putting his mother in a chokehold. His girlfriend at the time, Amber Birch, was also accused in a separate assault against his mother. Then in late 2011, he was arrested in connection to a shooting murder where a man named Joseph Chandler, who was 30, was shot dead and his body was dumped in a river. The river was connected to Pazuzu because that was the same river outside the town that he allegedly indulged in black magic rituals and animal sacrifices. And a man named uh, Nicholas Rizzi was convicted of manslaughter while Pazuzu was charged as an accessory to murder because he housed, he actually housed um, this Nicholas Rizzi guy who murdered this man. Um, what a piece of shit. And because he was an accessory um, to murder, he went to prison. Um, so after his, like during, when he was in prison, he would brag about how he would, he murdered a bunch of people. He raped a bunch of women. He was very braggy about it and was very proud of what he did. Um, a lot of the prison inmates obviously just kind of put this as hearsay and thinking like, okay, this guy thinks he's top shit. Um, and nobody really took it seriously, which is really, really, really heartbreaking, but whatever. Um, and also the entire prison went on to lockdown because Pazuzu decided to bite his wrist and, and always bleed to death with his sharp teeth. Um, so the whole prison went into lockdown because apparently that's what happens. I don't know. Crazy. Um, so after the conviction, when he was out of prison, uh, um, this is like maybe five years after he got out of prison, they issued a search warrant to search his house. And it took him five years to get this fucking search warrant. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I think it's crazy that it took them five years when there's all these rumors going around about this man who has a criminal record that was actually um, an accessory to murder. I don't know why it took them so long to get a warrant, but apparently it did. Um, you know, uh, in 2014, they finally got, um, so three weeks, sorry, it was three years, three years. Um, they finally got this warrant and this, the sheriff's office accompanied by the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, as well as a medical examiner's office, received a search warrant to finally search his house and yard. Um, Pazuzu and his then 35-year-old partner, Amber Nicole Birch, who was 24 at the time, were both immediately arrested and charged with murder after the investigation team found skeletal remains in the backyard of Pazuzu. Oh, my gosh. We're getting heavy. So two bodies were found out of Joshua Wetzler and Tommy Welsh. Both were determined to have been shot, their bodies surrounded by dead animals that were literally just littered around them like trash. It was fucked up. Um, and it's hard to say how Josh and Tommy became involved with Pazuzu, but it's said by friends of the two men that were, they were both like troubled people as well. They, they were drug addicts and um, sorry, they struggled with addiction. I should say, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said drug addicts. Um, Josh specifically found it difficult to get a job after being charged with a minor drug offense. So it seemed that he kind of found solace with Pazuzu and his posse. Um, and he felt like he was welcomed into the community because they were also like outcasts as well. Um, it's also said that Josh was staying with Pazuzu for over a month prior to his murder and there was no clear motive behind any of the murders at all. 
It's said that there was a rage-fueled incident that occurred due to alcohol and drugs. It also came out in court that Pazuzu's mother, while getting ready for work, entered the room while Pazuzu was holding a gun over Joshua's head. She then continued to get ready for work and walked straight past them. He continued to shoot Joshua three times in the head and five times in the abdomen, killing him instantly. Amber, his girlfriend or fiancé, assisted Pazuzu in the murders as well and also assisted with burying the bodies in the backyard. She's since been sentenced to 39 years in prison. Um, so Pazuzu was due to appear in court um, days before police say he took his own life in what was called an apparent suicide in 2015. Uh, and this was exactly one year after the bodies had been discovered. So exactly one year after the bodies were discovered um, and he was supposed to go on trial a few days later, his body was found in his cell with a wound in his arm. There are absolutely no details in regards to how he actually died, which is fucking scary to me. And the press conference held by the constable that found the body gave an extremely vague and unclear answer as to how he actually died and what he used to die or whether it was a suicide at all. Um, The initial reports that went out to the media were very sensationalized, as you can imagine, due to the violent details of the crime, as well as the nature of Pazuzu's home and his striking appearance, as well as his affinity to Satanism and the devil. Because obviously Satan sells, and the media was obsessed with this, they were calling it a sex cult and all these things, but really it was just like a dirty house where we were having sex, but it wasn't anything to do with a sex cult. It was just one man that was uh, mentally unwell. And there was a lot of drugs and alcohol and abusive relationships between like several women involved and Pazuzu himself. Um, an interesting thing that I read as well was a, a practicing Satanist named Liz Bradley. She spoke out about this crime after it happened. And she said that Pazuzu is obviously just a messed up person and that using Satan and the satanic temple as an excuse to murder is just a scapegoat. She goes on to mention that mental health is a very difficult thing to understand. And it's easy for people to just blame Satan because this was a guy who worshiped him and had face tattoos. She continues stating that real Satanists emphasize compassion, empathy, and strive for justice through science fiction and, sorry, science fiction, through science and enlightenment. And that's what I read too about Satanism, that it's like all got to do with self-improvement and being um, really uh, like a believer in science and just rationality. Um, And so I want to end this on this really well-known reporter who reported on this. Um, And I want to end it on a quote, which is, Quote, unquote, uh, of course, Pazuzu and Amber actually shot and killed these people. But there were many points in this story that someone could have interceded. We as a community sort of messed that up. We should check on the weird kid a little more or maybe we should hold police a little more accountable. And that is a story of Pazuzu. Wow. (laughs) Exhausting because that is just like a fucking insane story and there's documentary on youtube that i highly recommend which is in four parts um which is hectic and really cool and i'm actually going to show you now um i'm scared of what's on my screen but i can actually minimize the screen and show you some footage from the apartment which i'm going to show you right now um where he lived this is like filthy This is the, uh, the sheriff's um, office then when they raided the house after he was convicted of murder. Well, 
So yeah, it's just like this really decrepit, like not cute <laughs> place. Um, I personally would not want to live there and it is disgustenlov. Um, fucked. So I don't know. The, the story does pose that question where it's like, it always seems to be in stories that it's the weird kid that does a school shooting or kills someone, or it's always the outcast and like the kid that didn't get a good childhood or had a group of friends that could, that he could fall back on. But then again, he had this community that did worship him and like loved him. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like a double-edged sword. Like I get, I totally understand that mental health does come from, um, your surroundings sometimes it does come from your environment, but it does have a predisposition to how you're raised and um, your chemical balance in your brain. So I think he was unwell and did not get the help that he needed. Um, and the people around him were kind of fueling that that delusion that he was this like grandeur leader or like some sort of um, person that should be worshipped because I just don't think that's like the kind of support that he should have been getting. I don't know, man. I don't know. So you know what, guys? You're in for a bloody treat because I've got another story. It's a short one, so relax, okay? I hope you're enjoying this so far. Kick up those feet because we've got another story coming through and I'm really excited for it because I thought, look, I don't know how long I'm going to be talking to myself, but I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> um, so this next story, it's, like I said, it's short, so calm down. I'm so sorry if, I, if you're getting bored. But it's pretty much, um, <laughs> before I start, I just need to mention Jordy, uh, my friend, my great friend Jordy in the comment. Um, <laughs> she just said, the bravery of screen sharing, because I just screen shared my laptop to show you the video. Um, thank you. I do, I do appreciate that a lot. Thank you so much. Um, also, guys in the comments, could you let me know if you could hear that video? That would be great. If you couldn't hear it, let me know, because the next video I want to show you does have um, audio that I want you to hear. Um, so let me know if you can hear it. Um, and Blake brought up a good point as well that I think the mom, sorry, I think the fact that the mom ignored it says a lot about how he was raised. I completely agree. And I also think that it sh um, there's a lot of, if you watch the documentary, which I watched, um, there's a lot of info that I left out because I, it was all hearsay and like kind of rumors about how Pazuzu said that when he was growing up, his mother was um, doing things like having sex in front of him with strangers and um, doing drugs with people in their lounge room and things like that. But, you know, Pazuzu was known to be a bit of a, an, a liar. So I wasn't sure if I should mention it, but, you know, I do, I do, I do think that he didn't have the best upbringing. I think that did affect how he um, acted. So, uh, okay. So this next story was on Dr. Phil <laughs> and that's how I found the goddamn thing. I can't believe I found it on Dr. Phil. Can we just, uh, I didn't watch it, but it was one of those stupid things that like the headline pulled me in. I clicked it and fucked my life. Anyway, so this is a story of Zachary Davis. So he was born um, July 27th, 1997 in Tennessee, USA. He was a quiet boy, a social outcast and was a bit strange. Does it sound familiar? Yes, it does. He was described as being awkward, had strange habits and mannerisms. When his father, Chris, died from ALS in 2007, then nine-year-old Zachary went into a tailspin and lost his mind. Um, according to his grandmother, he was taken to see a psychologist after his father had passed away. He was there diagnosed with schizophrenia and depressive disorder. Zach claimed that he heard voices and soon became even more withdrawn than he did previously. In one of his sessions with his psychiatrist, Zach opened up and said that he heard his vo the voice of his father. Now that's a fucking huge red flag if I ever did hear one. 
Um, experts regarding this case have said that the, the experiencing, like experiencing a deep depression, like the one that Zach um, descended into after the death of his father, particularly at a young age, is quite normal. Um, and there are three structured stages to the bereavement process. So number one is numbness. Number two is depression. And the third one is recovery. And unfortunately, Zach never quite reached the third stage. This is particularly because his mother pulled him out of therapy shortly after it began. Uh, no, not do, don't do that. I think especially if you've had um, a child lose a father they, and they've they, uh, just been diagnosed with schizophrenia, uh, keep them in therapy, hashtag keep them in therapy. So the family eventually moved to start a new life and get a fresh start to a summer, to a place called Summer County, which is also in Tennessee. Um, Zach's mother, Melanie, works as a paralegal and trained as an athlete. She was born in Australia and moved to the US at a young age. She did her best to get past her husband's death and to keep her boys happy and also secure and safe. But she wasn't keeping a close eye on Zach. He often spoke in a monotonous whisper in school and would wear the same hoodie every single day. He had an app on his phone about serial killers and another app that which listed torture devices. His notebooks were covered in slurs such as, quote, you can't spell slaughter without laughter, unquote. Um, wow, interesting. Uh, also, like, that's, that's me. <laughs> Just kidding, it wasn't me. Um, on the night of August 10th in 2012, Zachary's mother took Zach's brother and herself to a movie. When they returned home, Zach packed items into a backpack, including clothing, notebooks, a toothbrush, gloves, a ski mask, and a claw hammer. On the outside, it seemed as if Zach was planning to run away. Zach's mother went to bed at 9pm. When she was asleep, Zachary went to the basement, retrieved a sledgehammer, and entered his mother's room. He bludgeoned her to death, striking her nearly 20 times in the head. He then, drenched in blood, closed the door, went to the family game room, doused it in whiskey and gasoline and lit it on fire. He shut the door and fled the house. He also intended to kill his brother Josh in a fire, but because he closed the door to the game room, the fire did not spread immediately and the older brother Josh was woken up by the smell of fire and a fire alarm. He went into his mother's room to alert her and found her bludgeoned dead body. Um, Josh escaped the fire and ran to the, the next door neighbor's house. Zach was found by police 10 miles from his home. In a videotape confession presented as evidence to the court, Zach Davis chillingly explained how the disembodied voices of his father told him to kill his mother. Um, when asked by a detective in his confession, if he could go back in time, would he still carry out the attack? He replied with, quote, I would probably kill Josh um, with a sledgehammer too, uh, unquote. <laughs> All right. Um, he showed no remorse during the entire trial, even when shown photos of the body of his mother. When asked why he chose a sledgehammer, he replied that he was worried that he'd miss and that the tool would give him the highest chance of killing her. At one point during the trial, Zach tried to pin the murder on his brother and the claim even surprised his own defense attorney who admitted openly in court that Zach killed his mom. And the defense was like trying to get a leniency deal for Zach by admitting to the crime. But Zach literally outbursted into the crime, into the, in court saying his brother did it and he didn't do it anything at all. Um, Zach's grandmother stood trial and appealed to the severe mental health issues that he was suffering. 
She said it in court, quote, every guidance counselor and every teacher should stand trial with Zach. He's not a monster. He's a child who made a horrible mistake, unquote. The doctor who initially diagnosed Zach um, with schizophrenia also stood trial, stating that he was driven by his psychosis. And because of his mental illness, he could not have possibly predetermined the murders. Although due to all this, um, the judge and jury did not feel the same at all. After a three-hour deliberation, uh, Zachary Davis was sentenced to life in prison. A life sentence in the state of Tennessee is a minimum of 60 years in prison with the possibility of parole um, after 51 years. So Zachary Davis will be in his mid-60s by the time he might be able to get out of prison. And that is a story of Zachary Davis, a.k.a. the Sledgehammer Killer. Um, I think it's another good example of um, neglected mental health and also mental health gone wrong. And it's just really sad to me. But, 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 here I am, James Christie Murray. Ever so conspiracy theory obsessed, I looked so deep into this goddamn story. And if you watch the video of him on Dr. Phil, which I'm about to show you, he does things that people have said in the comments, which have, which have since been turned off because um, the people that manage the Dr. Phil YouTube page um, were concerned about something. So they turned the comments off saying things like his voice sounds like he's possessed by some sort of demon and that he nods in, in um, he nods in sequences of three, which is like a demon mocking the Holy Trinity. Um, oh, oh, he's just so, he's just creepy as hell. And I'm, I'm going to show you him now. Um, here it is. Did you kill your mother? Yeah. You killed your mother. One, two, three. And why did you kill her? She uh, wasn't taking care of my family. Meaning you and your brother? Yeah. Is that who you mean? Uh-huh. One, two, and three. So because she wasn't taking care of you and your family, you decided to kill her. One, two, three. Did you think about discussing it with her instead of killing her? I didn't think it wouldn't do anything. You thought it won't do any good to talk to her, so I'll just kill her. One, two, three. When did you decide to kill your mother? I decided the day I did it. And the method you chose was what? Uh, Beating her to death. And you, you beat her to death with what? A uh, sledgehammer. Uh, and how many times did you hit her with the sledgehammer? I don't remember. About. Did you hit her once or did you hit her 10 times or 100 times? I'd say about 20 times. Was this a three-pound sledgehammer, five-pound sledgehammer? I don't know. Heavy. Yeah. Way One, two, three. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where did you hit her? In the head. Where was she when you did this? She was in her room. What was she doing? She was asleep. Okay. So your mother was asleep in her room. And you opened the door and went in there? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, you need to help me understand here. 
you're standing outside her bedroom door. You've got a sledgehammer in one hand. You've got your hand on the doorknob with the other. And you open that door. What's going through your head at that moment? I don't remember. My mind was pretty much blank. Where did you get? Anyway, you can watch the rest um, on YouTube and I would recommend it. It's fucking creepy. Um, so a couple of good points, like one, uh, he, so he was 15 years old when he committed his crime in the state of Tennessee. Um, it does not matter his age, murder at any age in the state of Tennessee is murder and you are tried by, as an adult. Um, also Amy brought up a good point that they, uh, that they argued that he was unable to predetermine the murder, but he admitted that he thought about the use of the sledgehammer over another weapon. That seemed pretty predetermined to me. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a, a great point. And I think that he, to me, like he, he seemed like a boy that is completely, completely disattached from his own, um, mental, like well-being. Like he has no idea how to deal with any of the feelings that he has inside. And he seems like a boy that's really just lost and in pain. Um, and I do, I do feel some sort of empathy, but I also don't because, he is a murderer and he did kill his mom and that's an evil, an evil thing. Um, but it's hard when dealing with mental health. It's such a complex thing that there's no black or white. There's no right or wrong. Um, you know, I don't know. I think that he's, when he gets out of prison, he's going to be even worse than he went in. So yeah, he also does sound like Reaper from the Exorcist. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, wow, guys, Wiz did a live podcast. How do we feel about that? I had a really good time. I'm not going to lie. Like, I really enjoyed it. It was really nice to be connected with a bunch of people, having a little chat. Um, I'll give you, I'm going to give a couple of minutes to see if anybody wants to share any stories while we're still here. Um, but if not, I will be wrapping it up in a little while. But I just want to thank you all so much for tuning in. It does mean the world. Um, this episode will be released next Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Um, so you can listen to it again if you really want. <laughs> I don't know if you want to, but you can. Um, and like I said, straight after this episode, as soon as we're wrapping up, episode 13 will be... Sorry, what did I say? Episode 14. This is episode 14. That'll be live next Tuesday, um, which is right now, if you're listening um, next week in the future. Hi, how is the future? Hopefully we are doing better than we are right now. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it in the future but if you're listening now live you can listen to episode 13 which will be out after this i'm so confused wow <laughs> at the end of the day it doesn't matter please just listen that's all that matters cunt okay great thanks i shouldn't sorry i didn't mean to call you cunt yes i did <laughs> kidding okay guys thank you so much i love you all thank you so much for tuning in i really appreciate it um i hope that you are staying safe, staying sanitary. And like I said, my heart goes out to anybody that has lost work um, over the coronavirus uh, pandemic right now. And I'm so empathetic and I'm always here for a chat. So please do reach out because I love you so much. Um, <laughs> sorry, just one more last horror story before we go um, from the comments. We've got um, Jamelia saying, true horror story, I'm on Queensland time, so I only just tuned in because I thought we were starting. Rip me. <laughs> that is truly 
the horror of of this podcast. Um, and I'm so sorry that you missed out. But like I said, this episode will be coming out next week, e.g. today, if you're listening next week. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. From the bottom of my little cold heart, I love you. And, um, yeah, see you soon. Bye.